0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick.
1: The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Painting and taking on all the plates, paid to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Putinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.
0: Obviously, there has been uh, an awful lot of talk about artificial intelligence lately, uh, and more specifically, generative AI, uh, and it just seems to keep increasing. Uh, And some of that attention and discussion has been about questions around regulation. There's a part of me that wonders if what we're seeing is sort of a pendulum swinging Perhaps too far in in the opposite direction. and that, many policymakers felt that they underregulated internet companies for way too long, and now they're jumping to the belief that they need to overregulate AI as early as possible. Um, we're seeing some movement in AI regulation issues, uh, though it's still unclear exactly how that's going to go in the U S there've been various bills, but nothing has really passed, uh, President Biden did issue a kind of sweeping executive order on AI, and we're, we'll still see how that actually plays out in practice. The e- EU has announced that they've agreed to terms on uh, an AI act, but the details remain kind of vague, a little bit fuzzy, and uh, to me at least a little bit worrisome <laughs> in what has been said uh, publicly so far. Uh A few months back at uh, the Trust and Safety Research Conference at Stanford, uh, I saw Fordham Law Associate Professor Chini Sharma offer as, I guess, something of a provocation, uh, (laughs) the idea of what was effectively a malpractice regime for AI. And her explanation at the time was one that I agreed with fundamentally, that bureaucrats and policymakers with little tech understanding would not be able to regulate AI in a sound way. Um, But then I'm not as convinced (laughs) of where that leads her proposal to go. And that is that we sort of create a, a regime akin to medical malpractice in which developers of AI are put into the role of holding each other accountable, creating some duty of care or something equivalent of that and an effective AI engineering licensing regime. So uh, at the time, I raised a bunch of questions about how this might work, uh, and she's continued to work on the proposal and has just released an article on Lawfare, uh, laying out the basics, which I think is being reframed a little bit now uh, as (laughs) professionalization of AI engineers including professional codes of conduct and standards and the potential for tribunals who might review uh, the actions of members. So I still have many, many concerns about this proposal uh, and uh, feel like there are some aspects of it that I'm worried about in practice. Uh, But Ginny has certainly been willing to respond to my questions and other people I've sent to her for her to talk to about the proposal over the past few months, uh, and we thought it would be fun to hash things out uh, on the podcast. So, welcome to the show!
1: Thank you so much. Um, I like the intro because it's like she asked for whatever's coming to her <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: I <don't> <laughs> no, no, true. no. Uh, so, so I, I, I wanted to start really just by raising the original concern that I think I raised with you when you know back at that that conference at Stanford a few months ago and it's basically that when i look at other areas that have this kind of professionalization um and you know the concept of malpractice which are mainly medicine and law um i see an awful lot of complaints about how they work in practice and this is turning into a very long question but like on, on two accounts. One is that they sort of, these, these regimes tend to turn into effectively guilds with a sort of gatekeeping aspect to it. And there are all sorts of concerns about how much that keeps out of the industry and how that often raises costs significantly and maybe uh, leads to not enough doctors. We probably have too many lawyers, but not enough doctors. <laughs> uh, and then Second, uh, you know, historically, even with these concepts, it's it's sort of it's it's difficult to see too many cases where those, you know, licensing regimes, bars, whatever it might be, that really effectively police their colleagues. There are examples, certainly, of people of lawyers being disbarred or doctors being found to have have uh, been engaged in malpractice, but they tend to be the most extreme, like the the, the it really really egregious ones where they can't not do something or it calls into question their entire reason for being. So I think on both ends of the spectrum, I think that these systems have shown like real failures, and so I I worry about like imitating these things that don't seem to work that well. So that's my opening provocation to you. (laughs) What's your response?
1: Um, I really, really want to respond with no, my idea is a silver bullet and (laughs) let me explain to you all of the reasons why all of your concerns are unfounded. Um, But in reality, I like, those are very fair and those are things I struggle with uh, as I research this because you know, as you know, my my first ever scholarly paper was about the value of interoperability and how mm-hmm. I think it's anti-competitive to restrict APIs. I'm very pro-competition and an open internet. My second paper was on open source. I love the collaborative nature, the low barriers to entry. And so it's like, what are you doing now?
0: <laughs> suggesting <Right.
1: laughs> a, a members-only club for tech. Um, and, and all of that's fair. I so it seems like you have two concerns. One is like the protectionary effects of professionalizing a field. Right. Um, and two, um, that those might not even be uh, outweighed by the benefits because you, you are not holding anything but the more egregious cases, um, right. uh, punishing the most egregious cases. Yes. Um, so just the protectionary uh, barriers. one, That is certainly true for law and medicine. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are some real concerns around um, the impact that barriers to the field have had on patient care. Mm -hmm. However, one, I don't think that it is necessarily the fact that we require licenses that reduces access to patient care or quality of patient care. I think that an under-regulated medical insurance regime is what is spiking costs. So Basically, there are studies that show that the actual incident of medical malpractice cases, and this goes to your second point, is exceedingly low. Mm -hmm. Um, But the narrative that insurance pushes out is that, you know, your risk is so high and that's how they justify extremely high premiums. And so doctors sit in the middle, um, feeling as if they are at risk at every turn. Mm-hmm. And so I, I blame insurance more than I blame guilt. <laughs> but I also think that professionalization more so than, for example, proposals to license a company or license a product, which I, I know you also have concerns about those. Proposals, yes.
0: Oh, absolutely. yeah.
1: Or to have kind of top down standards of you need to meet semi-annual um, safety audits, I think that those can be even higher barriers to entry for a field than what right. I'm suggesting because there is a flexibility for the industry to re-evaluate the impact of regulations or rules it has set forth for itself and change them accordingly. And I think a great example of this is we have we were very concerned about access to patient care for relatively low low unsophisticated or less complicated issues.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: over time, many states changed through their licensing bodies, changed the requirements um, for thing activities like prescribing certain medications to allow nurse practitioners that have a substantially lower set of requirements um, to get licensed to be able to prescribe. And then you also have below nurse practitioners, nurses. And then below that right. you have physician's assistants. And these are all tiered levels of licenses. And over time, the the what falls under each has shifted. And so where today um, we might have certain activities that we think we only want the most qualified of the most qualified to be doing, it's without a doubt, I think, that within five years, many of those activities will become more commonplace. The same way, you know, Your line software engineer was extremely in high demand two decades ago. And now it can be kind of hard to find a job as a front end developer. Mm -hmm. Um, You have no code application. So technology advances. And so you might feel more comfortable shifting that out of the licensing regime. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in that way, you can respond to the industry. And then to the protectionist uh, uh, kind of concern, doctors and lawyers aren't the only fields that do this. accountants and uh, engineers like uh, uh, mechanical or civil engineers also have to get licensed. Yep. And those are actually um, talked about less, but I think even more applicable to an AI engineer world, because the reason why the way that accounting standards are set up is not for the direct, not only for the direct benefit of your accounting clients. So say I'm your accountant and I'm serving Mike Masnick. I'm not just concerned about Mike Maznick. I'm concerned about billionaire Mike Masnick um, having fraudulent accounting um, mm-hmm. that misleads shareholders and to the detriment of society as a whole, see Enron. And, and so in those worlds, it's actually not acting much as a guild in preventing people from entering the field. Um, unless there's a shortage of accountants that I'm not aware of, but I I don't think there is. Um, And it's more acting as how do you make someone think beyond just a fiduciary duty? Um, And then to the second point of the most egregious examples, on one hand, I get to point to that and be like, Hey, all of you people that are really concerned about a floodgate of litigation, it's actually not going to be that big of a deal. Um, But on the other hand, it's like, well then what's the point of this? Um, I think what's the point of this is uh, I'm, I would rather something that gets at the most egregious harms than nothing, and, and this is a more controversial take, but I would rather something that gets at the most egregious harms and may not get at other harms rather than something that doesn't get at any of the harms but tries to cover all of the harms, and that's kind of my concern right. with other proposals that have loftier goals, and I understand and I'm highly sympathetic to those goals, um, but may encourage more um, either whittle the competition down to the five companies that can meet standards or mm-hmm. uh, uh, promote kind of gamifying uh, mm-hmm. how do we do the least to comply with these standards I mean if you have safety audits you've seen in the environmental space like industry capture is huge and yep. you know these audits don't really mean much. Um, and so what I the the hope that I have of something like this, is not really about the people who get their licenses stripped away, but rather the culture change that has happened organically in other fields that did choose down to cho- choose to go down this path. And right. I think that the, you know, I can't say there's a causal relationship, but there is historically a this happened slowly over time. And after this happened, there became more of a sense of duty to public welfare than there was before
0: right. So that leads to a whole bunch of questions potentially. <laughs> um, so one is that like in in those industries that have it though, it does feel like the issues and the concerns are much more clearly defined. And we're at a space with with AI, at least, where even AI is not clearly defined. Uh, and there are disputes over what is AI. And, you know, for years, you know, people, there would be companies, I would get press releases from companies saying like, AI powered, blah, blah, blah. And I look at the details, it's like, your AI is just like a spreadsheet hidden in the background, <laughs> you know, that's you know, that's not what people are talking about with AI. And, and so like, even what counts as AI is still sort of unclear. And also at the same time, we have a lot of aspects of what is considered AI that people are just kind of playing around with. Right. And you don't necessarily have that, those same scenarios. You don't have like people who are toying around with, you know, financial statements, right. <laughs> or, or, you know, suing someone, I guess that's probably not a good example because you do I have like, no, people <laughs> so,
1: really creative. I mean, and, and yes. recent litigation shows Yes. You know, things yes. that used to be dead law are now all of a sudden back.
0: Sure. But, but I mean, it's still like, you know, th- it is a defined set of, of things that are happening. Right. Whereas like AI is still, in many ways, for many people, like, I don't want to say a toy, but but like conceptually a toy that people just sort of mess around with and just experiment with, which is not the case in these other industries. And so do you worry about this kind of setup either sweeping in too much, or do you have some sort of concept that limits it to a just a particular segment that is more clearly defined?
1: Um, so... Three kinds of flavors of responses and you know, <laughs> you choose your own adventure on which one you want to uh, attack me on. And I welcome it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first being, it's kind of this rhetoric and and I'm going to be the lawyer and poke at language you use because you
0: know,
1: <laughs> I walked in eyes wide Fair enough. And, and totally you did too. <laughs> um, but kind of, it's the idea of like, AI being a toy that people fool around with yeah, that on one hand is how great science has been made. Um, It's people in labs toying around with new things and being like, let's shoot light into this piece of glass with a slit in it and see what happens. Right. Right. With no real goal. But you don't take that and embed it in a product and put it, before the public when you're like, let's see what happens. And, (laughs) and, and that's the culture I think that I am most concerned about. Right. And, um, you know, Gen Z has a lot of phrases to, to cover that kind of behavior, but really it's, um, the move fast and break things when we talk about AI, especially when we talk about the lack of transparency around what is AI, is this really embedded AI, um, and this could go in the reverse. You could have a system that does not say openly that it is using AI and could be using AI. There's just a lot that's unclear. And as we see from so, like something as simple as insecure software, consumers don't have transparency into like what they're interacting with. And so they can't really protect themselves in that way.
0: Okay, so 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 are you saying that this only applies to situations where there's like commercial products?
1: Yes. I see. So, and and I could be, this is, you know, as you said, like. I I have my own questions on the feasibility of my regime. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's true of any proposal that's happened. And then you just either like, you know, the EU approach is like, well, let's just do it and we'll figure it out later. (laughs) Um, But same with kind of like my the way I distinguish open source code that's been made open source and then open source code embedded in a commercial product. One is sitting in the ether and not impacting anybody. It's just a place where people are trying new things and building off of each other and making things available and seeing if they can contribute to the common good. Um, Another is somebody taking that and then putting it in something that has very real user impact. And so that's why I think liability should fall on the latter and not the former. The same applies here. If I am experimenting in a lab, in a wet lab, uh, in terms of kind of like exploring the value of stem cell, I mean, I'm already like exhausting my knowledge of
0: science
1: (laughs) um, for a particular purpose versus using that on human subjects. Those are very different things and require very different levels of approval to do those things. And so I think the same, if you want to experiment with AI absolutely I say, absolutely go for it. I think there are some that say don't, you know, and I would okay. acknowledge that, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to practice AI engineering means to be delivering that service. Um, the pauses, because I'm using air quotes around these weird phrases I'm saying <laughs> um, to the public. So I can be writing papers about how I theoretically think medicine should be practiced. But the minute I'm interacting with a patient um, or um, interacting with many people in a treatment capacity, even if I'm giving my services for free, that's still the practice of medicine. And I still need to be licensed to do that. And so that's kind of one thought. And then my second response on kind of how expansive or limited would this be is, again, that's kind of the benefit of this regime is like the regime can decide what AI is. Mm-hmm. Um, at what Maybe we think linear regression can, in some instances, be so complicated as to need to fall under this depending on the number of parameters the use case you know the training data and the degree to which it's structured i don't know um but it allows experts smarter than me and i think this is the point to figure out what are the high-risk cases that should fall under this definition um and and that can be flexible over time and then three i think that um you know, I had a third answer. and I'm sure it was <laughs> extremely good, but it just we'll makes we'll me. take it as a
0: given that that was very very compelling. <laughs> well, let me let me so let me let me let me ask a, another question, and if the third one comes to you, you can you can use that. But like, um, so I still have this right. So I, I just thinking about the way that that innovation tends to work in the the internet and and tech space. Oftentimes you have things that you know, and I'm going back to the toy analogy, um, that people are just sort of playing around with that they don't realize is even a product, and then like other people suddenly start wanting it and and it turns into a product almost accidentally. And and so I wonder if this kind of regime effectively cuts that off in in that like nobody gets to release just kind of a toy that they can play around with until they've hired a licensed AI engineer who will go through this process. So is that, is that just like what you say is like, that's the necessary cost to, to protect against some, some horrible potential feature that that's, that's the way it needs to be. And then if so, do you fear that that cuts off you know an aspect of innovation that that has been important in the internet space over the last few decades
1: yeah it's it's a it's a it's a very fair concern um and i guess my immediate response is at least right now there are enough barriers to entry into working with what we conceive of as AI that Mm -hmm. the access to the marketplace is already limited to those who have access to resources, whether they have their own or access to a research institution or a corporate institution's resources. And that might change over time, but if market powers have, you know, anything to say, you can imagine that's not really going to change. You'll be giving up something, you know, for example, I might imagine a cluster um, giving access uh, to Innovators, but then wanting a share of the IP, and so mm-hmm. that, the market kind of figures it out this out in terms of getting value for really um, in demand resources. And so I don't know, and this is an empirical question, and I cannot say definitively whether this is true or not. But my hypothesis is is that requiring licenses is not raising the bar much higher than it is already is in AI. I mean, it's not like when I started to become an iOS developer, I downloaded, I bought a MacBook because I hadn't had one mm-hmm. before and I downloaded Xcode and I, you know, downloaded TestFlight onto my phone and kind of messed around. And, and you could do that, but mm-hmm. it, I can't really work on an LLM with my MacBook. Um, mm-hmm. And, or at least in the way that you're talking about of kind right. of developing something cool and then productizing it. Um, And so there's that. The second thing is, you know, if, if you do have to hire an AI engineer um, that just demonstrates the massive benefit of having that license, which might incentivize more people to go out and obtain that license, um, which might kind of then reduce with more supply, the amount that those licenses can like, Mm -hmm. you know, charge in terms of value. Um, Another point is that we don't, need to take the medical world, you know, I'm pretty sure it's like on average, like 437 years of education before you can become a practicing <laughs> doctor, um, is what it yeah. feels like. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't necessarily need that. You know, what I think people one a criticism I get all the time is, I mean, you're a lawyer, you know, the bar exam isn't like really testing right. anything. It's not testing whether you're a good lawyer. And I was like, That's true. Um, However, it is testing some stuff like I did have to learn some stuff and above zero amount of stuff related (laughs) to the law to take the step. Right. Um, And but beyond that, what was really important is that now I have this license to practice that, if taken away, functionally bars me from practicing in the United States And I will likely have to report it in many other countries if I try to go practice there. And, and that's, that's my livelihood. And so it's not so much the requirements to getting the license that need to be extremely high, but rather the enforcement mechanism to what you want people to comply with once they have the license. And so I guess that is to say, you know, Maybe your 16-year-old doesn't need to show that they have a high school degree. Maybe they just need to take a test or take one year of ethics courses and statistics courses, and we are comfortable with that. That's something I think that can be decided by, again, people smarter than me, um, but probably not just AI engineers. I think other people should be part of the conversation. Um, And then the last point is, like, the entire tech field, like, I, I love the idea of the garage innovator, but like mm-hmm. that's not how things happen anymore. It's maybe the garage engineer at one point, honestly, probably in kind of like Westchester, New York, where the garage is like nicer than my <laughs> one bedroom apartment. Um, but the garage story sounds better when you talk in interviews later and pitch funders. And so what I'm sure. getting at is you need venture money. Um, And that's even more true for the resource reasons we talked about earlier in AI. And so when you have venture funding, you have the resources then to acquire otherwise maybe expensive licenses and to take the exams. Or you go to a company that, for example, law firms will pay for your bar exam fees and renewal fees that can pay for that for you. And so tech is already a money intensive endeavor one way or another. And so... um, I and I, I that's not to dismiss the concern, but yeah, less concerned.
0: Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. I mean, there there are certainly like efforts underway from some people to try and push back on some of that. And like just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we had Jonathan Ross, who's the CEO of this company called Grok, which is they're they're building these AI chips. Which the the, the whole idea of it is to like make AI compute way more accessible to all sorts of people and be able to run different LLMs and to, to mess around with LLMs and do stuff. And, and, you know, Jonathan's view and vision of the world is one where, um, you know, that, that AI is accessible to anyone anywhere and, and is at an affordable rate. So there are questions about, you know, whether or not that vision becomes reality or whether or not there are other functions in there that, 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 Act as brakes on that. We'll see. Um, so, another question that I have, and this is, you know, this in some sense has come up a few times in in sort of thinking through this. And you're talking about kind of like effectively using this as a tool to to maybe change the culture a little bit, um, which raises like the existing culture within the AI space, which is weird in some ways right because you have some people who are building these technologies who claim that it could be the end of the world uh, which is not something we often see <laughs> when you have people building these technologies but then you have other people and there's like there've been a few articles now recently though this has been around for a while of this this Uh, effective accelerationism concept (laughs) where you have these people who are now just becoming more and more open and, and sort of proud of the fact that they don't want any breaks on anything. They think that we need to move as quickly as possible. And in fact, in some cases, when you talk to some of them, that any attempt at thinking about how to do this safely is itself dangerous because you're holding back the technology that is going to save more lives or do more good or whatever it might be. Um, And so I recognize that, that your proposal here is effectively to some extent, like an attempt to maybe rein in that kind of culture, but also like those might be the people who are the ones who are the judges here. <laughs> and so like, do you have concerns
1: about that? Yeah, no, uh, I do. <laughs> and I think the OpenAI letter to the board shows just how, you know, I don't think that that letter shows that 700 out of seven Sandy employees or whatever it was are all acceler- accelerationists. But I right. think that the sh- letter shows a level of pragmatism of, you know, whether we agree with the pace of it or not, a good leader in this space is a good leader in this space. And um, we want them at our helm and not somebody else's helm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we could have our disagreements, but, you know, we're team Altman. Um, I do think that, you know, and this is through kind of, I've done uh, many interviews with various AI engineers at various companies and there's just they're a self-selecting bunch in that mm-hmm. they're willing to talk to a researcher who's a lawyer, and I don't know that anyone expects talking to a lawyer is going to result in less regulation. And so <laughs> um, they probably knew what they were getting themselves into and agreed with it to some degree. Um, but they are all concerned about safety. Sure. Um, there is definitely a cohort of engineers that um, you know. And 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 this is kind of where, when we're talking about the existential threat of AI to humanity, it's kind of a zero sum game of like someone smarter than me needs to figure out whether you need to come to brakes on this or not, um, right. and like it, kind of like, brings to mind that was the Jurassic Park quote of like nature finds a way of, you know, the argument against that is like somebody's gonna get there, so let's get there first because it's inevitable, um, right. but. I think that at least in the short term feels like it's distracting from there are many other types of safety harms mm-hmm. that might come out of AI that can that are preventable with some care and that engineers know like not, maybe not how to prevent them completely but know what they're doing that's exacerbating the problem so to mm-hmm. prevent them to some degree and the reason they can't is because they have no real bargaining power because they are not like the 700 employees like OpenAI. They are, mm-hmm. you know, engineers at that are not working on AGI, but working on kind of you know, AI's integration into Microsoft Word. Um, and they have directives from, you know, their senior engineers and product managers. And those are driven by company incentives. And so, you know, that's the end of the story. So, you know, the push that I have is what if you equipped those specific individuals with something else to point to that says, not only are you exposing me to malpractice by demanding that I push this new feature out in a three week life cycle, Mm -hmm. um, but you are also exposing yourself as a company to this either because you're the one providing me with my insurance or because I could point to you and say that the only reason I did this is because, you know, my employment was on the line and you made me do it. Um, and, and that's kind of my, you know, I, hopefully you can rally those individuals around Mm -hmm. something like this. Um, because even in medicine, there are individuals who think that, um, practice guidelines have only constrained doctors from the creativity Mm -hmm. and flexibility required to treat patients. Yep. Definitely true to some degree. Um, However, do we think that, you know, it's probably bad for hospitals to uh, require surgeons to work 48 hour shifts? Also, yes. And Mm -hmm. so that's also part of practice guidelines. You know, it's, there are un, uh, relatively common sense, uncontroversial things we can start with and then kind of litigate the rest of it later. Um, and then kind of to the, the, the another point that hap- comes up a lot is if we don't do it, China will do it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe. I can't say, you know, whether or not that's really true. Right. But for... Over a hundred years, we have licensed physicians, and there are a lot of issues I have with healthcare in this country, Um, but we have many of the top providers in specialized medicine that are making breakthroughs in interventions that save lives and have people flying from all over to come here to get their medical education, to see a particular physician. I don't think that professionalization needs to limit um, advancements we can make Uh, if the barrier is um, talent, you know, lower immigration barriers and bring in Mm -hmm. that talent. If the issue is keeping people in the country, do a better job than we've been doing to incentivize that people stay. Um, Mm -hmm. If the issue is resources, let's divert quite a bit of funding to AI research. You know, there's, there's other things we can do to keep pace. That doesn't have to be no standards.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that those are, I I totally get what you're getting at, but I'm not sure those are really analogous scenarios um, for a variety of reasons. Um, But let let me set that aside for now. I, I, I think, you know, I think there are there are other there are other risks associated with it, and it's it's um, you know China you know developing a, a better AI system or somewhere else, right? It's not going to be Europe, I think, because their policies are terrible. But like it it doesn't need to be the U.S. and it could be somewhere else that that does put in place a, a, a better setup um, if if we're in some ways limiting the ability to, to, to create the breakthroughs. But again, like even here, like, I feel like part of the problem is that, that we're talking about a bunch of different things and sort of lumping them all together as AI. And, and so that sort of brings me back to my original question or my original issue, which is like, the definitions here really matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we, if we're just, tap dancing around like what are the definitions then it's hard to it's hard to recognize what it is that that where the problems are and so i guess my 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 overarching thing is like i feel like there there's some in, there, there may be something interesting here but like the definitions are really going to matter and like very very specifically like what is covered who is covered and how and how that's set up and i know like you're just throwing this out there is like, this is a starting point And like, that needs to be developed. Um, but I think, I think for, for something like this to work, that would have to be, that would really have to be very carefully thought about. And, and there's a whole bunch of trade-offs involved in each of those decisions. And, and I I, and I, I wonder where, you know, where that goes. And just, just like in thinking about it, like, you know, there are other models too, right? Professionalization can mean many different things. Professionalization does not necessarily need to mean licensing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and like you brought up fiduciary duty and, and the concept of like the CPA accountant stuff earlier, but like you have people like Jack Balkan who have talked about fiduciary duty in terms of like, you know, internet services. And could there be a kind of like, you have to have fiduciary duty to your users in some sense or whatever, you know? there are models potentially like that that seem like, you know, I have some issues with those as well. Like I think they lead to some questionable incentives at times too, and some weird outcomes, but like, is, is that a, a better model or like why, why go right to the licensing, I guess.
1: Um. So I guess to very strongly agree with you, First, I do <laughs> really agree that the definitions matter a lot mm-hmm. and like whether we go with my proposal or any other proposal and, 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 and you can tell me if you think that this is wrong and there is a, like a good place to look for this, but like, I, I don't know that any framework, whether from the private sector, civil society or public sector defines what, what AI is. We have kind of compute requirements as thresholds for some re- for some regulations, um, but that doesn't tell me kind of when we are concerned about AI, what are we concerned about? Right. Um, because not all the regulations are just about things above a particular compute threshold. They're talking about, you know, various agencies need to study the possibility of incorporating AI or threats that AI might present or things like that. Like, what are they talking about? And so, yeah, I think the definition problem is huge. Um, I... I think there are, so for example, in um, the accounting context, the generally accepted accounting principles are set not just by accountants, but in consultation with the CFPB and the SEC. Um, And so there's kind of like a a political arm that represents kind of the public interest with its own expertise there. That's a model. Um, In medical disciplinary boards, you often have representatives of the public so it's not just mm-hmm. doctors but you have other stakeholders that come to weigh in on things and so you know you could imagine a world in which you know there's a bunch of AI engineers trying to define what AI is and you know somebody is bringing in the foreign policy perspective or the implication for markets pers- I, I don't know um and and I think we would have to be a little creative there if you set something like this up but then to the why am I jumping to licensing um I, as a lawyer, don't trust courts with tech. And mm-hmm. it's not because I don't think common law isn't good and I don't think courts are dumb and can't figure th- I mean, I think the track record of courts addressing issues with technology is extremely poor yes. for reasons that they are to fault and reasons that are maybe outside of their hands. Sure. On one hand, you know, we're seeing this with AI constantly. Like, what are the harms we're talking about? Right. Like, we don't even have a good articulation of that when we know in our gut that there's something to be worried about, but we don't know what that is. And we don't know what to look for when we look for it. And we don't know how to quantify it. And unfortunately, our tort system, that is like the first step. And, you know, tons of plaintiffs can't even pass that. So even if you have a fiduciary duty, what are you showing as like, this is what I'm asking for recompense with? Um, then there's kind of the issue. So like a duty is a big one. And so having a fiduciary duty to all of ChatGPT's users, like that could get you some of the ways, but it doesn't get you to this harm element. Um, and then the second thing is like causation. Like you see mm-hmm. in medical malpractice, why is medical malpractice actually quite hard to litigate once you get to courts? Right. Um It's hard for a patient, even post-discovery, to say, like, at this juncture, this physician was responsible for making the decision that caused, you know, I have 20%, you know, less life than I should otherwise have had. Um, And with tech, like, especially when you're talking about AI models, um, there's a lot of reasons why this is going to be really hard from a technological perspective, um, from a, you know. Even the most savvy plaintiff's attorney is going to have a hard time understanding this, whether they bring in expert testimony or not. Um, and then th- in terms of culture, we were talking you know, offline earlier about agile development life cycles. There is no documentation culture left in industry. Like, right. it's, Nobody wants it. Nobody likes it. And so then what do you point to when you're trying to figure things out? And so I have a concern from like that kind of practical standpoint. And then well, how do you quantify this? Like, what are the damages? Like, what are you, you know, I had, you know, I was convinced into having a eating disorder by prolonged conversation with the National Eating Disorder Association's chatbot, um, what 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 is that? You know, we've wow. had a very hard time quantifying these kinds of harms, yes, even if we yes. recognize them as harms. Then you have your Section two thirty barriers. AI is ingesting a lot of third party content. So mm-hmm. is that something? I I I think you know Sam Altman said Section two thirty does not apply to AI. I I don't think that he can decide that by fiat. <laughs> um, but I, you know that's still an open question. We don't know where that's gonna go. <laughs> And then there's the super background culture that you have judges that have been on the bench for a long time and you have lawyers that have been practicing for a long time and you have society that has been thinking about this for a long time. And all of us have grown up in a world where we don't expect a lot from tech. And Mm -hmm. so once upon a time in the medical world, you had your one community doctor that did everything from like amputations to a sore throat. And you were never going to piss that doctor off because then you have no doctor. Um, it's kind of like that, but we're just, we're beholden to tech in a way that we just, we don't have the learned consumer expectations to weaponize a tort or like use a tort system as a shield against harms. Right. You don't think in that way. Um, and that's why privacy has had a really hard time. Like It's gained momentum and awareness, but not, not a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: and so, just as like a, a final concept that I'm sort of trying to puzzle through, in in in, in having this conversation and thinking about, is that I, I still feel like the harms to 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 get to what you were just talking about, that the, the the lack of clarity in the harms itself also makes this a challenge for me, right? And even like, you can say like in the medical field, it's not, it's not clear in terms of, it's more of an attribution problem. Like how do you, how do you attribute this harm to this particular decision or, or whatever. But in the, in the AI field, like we're not even, we don't, nobody knows like what the harms are. And often it's not even like part of the issues we, you know we don't know what the ai is going to do right and so like there's one thing to say like right i mean you know the the the, the silly example everyone always goes with is like the paperclip example of like you know whatever you, you want to make more paperclips and decides to turn the entire world into paperclips which i think is really not a a useful concept <laughs> <laughs> in in lots of ways but there is a a a point there which is that you know In some ways, the concept of AI and AGI in particular, if that ever really comes to be, if we could define what that is, if it does, is like, is that it is this sort of independent concept that will do things that nobody will understand. And that there won't be a reason and there won't be a way to track back. And like, we're seeing these things, like, people are coming up with, with, potential regulations and ideas of like, you have to be able to explain stuff. And it's like, you can't like, there's a bunch of these things, like the way they work, there is no explanation. There is no clear linear path from, from A to B. The system is just making decisions. Um, And so I worry about like, how do you, how do you deal with that situation? And, and so like, I just read, I don't remember if I told you about this or not, but I just read this book. Um, The, um, the alignment problem. Did I tell you about that or not? It's yeah. worth reading. You should look it up and, and read it. And it's a it's a it was written a few years ago, and it is about these questions about like bias in AI in particular, and and talking about like early systems for like whether it is like hiring, you know, going through a bunch of resumes and hiring, or going through, uh, you know, uh, people who have been convicted and like for sentencing guidelines. And there are all sorts of questions about bias in those systems, and they are reasonable questions. But the book is really, really interesting in that it sort of presents it as like, these are bigger problems. It's not so much like that you look at that and you say, yes, there's bias in these machines, fix it. Because they're not exactly fixable in that way. It's difficult to go in and be like, don't be biased, right? So, so many of these things, you have these outcomes that are are unpredictable in certain ways. And as the systems get more powerful, they'll become even more unpredictable. And then at the same time, it's not even clear how you avoid some of those problems because all of them involve very, very complicated trade-offs in ways that are difficult to predict. Like every fix creates some other issue. It's, you know, you're you're pushing on one thing and, and something, some mess is springing out somewhere else. Um, and so, you know, there's an argument that you could just take what I just said and like say, that's e- ever more reason <laughs> to, to go with your proposal and like, just get people to like think more carefully about what they're doing before they do it. But there's also an element that says like, if you don't know and you don't know what the impact of any particular decision is going to be and you don't have a clear path and you don't have the ability to trace it back, like, does all this do is just have people say like, I don't know, so I'm not going to try? And therefore, do we lose the potential for a lot of useful things that come out of that?
1: Yeah. Um- so <laughs> there's a lot in there. there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Answer quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty seconds go. Um, um, okay. Um, kind of like the easiest case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At a minimum, what if we just had a world in which we required all AI engineers to understand like basic statistics because <laughs> AI is just like math on steroids. Right? Right, right. So, um, but you have people like, like I'm an, I'm a self-taught, iOS developer. If I was a self-taught AI engineer, that means yeah. I'm reading medium articles and stack overflow and copying and pasting stuff and then testing it and being like, that seems like it worked and right. then putting it in front of like funders or in an incubator, um, and, and that that's concerning. And so at a minimum, you know, if you are building a uh, diagnostic tool for minors in India, and you train it on the elderly population in Seattle, I don't, you know, that's that's a common sense issue. Right. And you would say, that's not happening. Sure it is. Right. That's for sure happening um, because there's no reason to stop it and because it's not obvious in a tool that was trained on bad data that it's malfunctioning for that reason. Um, Because as you said, the malfunction is hard to guess at. And that's kind of why I'm like, push it further upstream and make sure the things that we know to be wrong are wrong. So for example, um, and then, you know, to that point, Sometimes we don't know. The blind spots, is it's a very real concern. And so we don't punish people when it wasn't a thing that was preventable and that they should have known was preventable. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a professional world, there is, one, a, a huge incentive for continued research and then having... Practice guidelines reflect that research. So when that's found out, you update things over time. So mm-hmm. we did not think of body mass index as a very racist uh, measurement of health. Mm-hmm. That was studied, and there were papers from a while back, but it didn't percolate into for reasons that are probably concerning, given the makeup of you know bodies like the sure. AMA and you know DSM. Um, but it did eventually. And so now in medical education, including when you are doing recertification, you in your modules or classes learn this kind of content. So that's better than nothing. Um, do we know exactly like the measurable outcomes of people using that? Um, there are some studies that try to do that, but it's not clear. But right. we were able to kind of move it forward so you don't have to wait for the bad thing to happen for us to hold that accountable. You're just like, we realize this is bad. So for example, we realize that creating synthetic data in this way is for this use case is more often than not bad. And so let's not do it for any use case in the future. Um, And so that can kind of move to part of education. Um, There's also kind of like the power of like rule, again by fiat, like it's kind of a dictatorship Mm -hmm but a representative to some degree dictatorship, I guess. I don't know if that's a thing that makes sense. It really doesn't, but I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Uh, I've already said it. So now I've got to defend it. But um, there's like an information sharing Uh culture and professionalization. So like correct accounting practices is not a competitive advantage. Like they're just correct accounting practices. Um, In medicine, you can get a patent for a successful surgical intervention, but you can't exclude other physicians from using that patent. Mm-hmm. And so this also kind of blows open the world of finding this information. And we saw it, like there's a brain drain from research to industry. And so where are we going to find evidence of like these, like right now amorphous, hard to define harms, bad practices, we're mm-hmm. going to find it probably in industry. And so let's not have that be something that only anthropic or open AI is aware of. Let's make it something that like OpenAI figured out that using this heuristic to test this model can get at like, you know, there's this concerning behavior. We don't know why it gets at it, but it does. And so other people should try it. Um, and then kind of the the ultimate point is when you get to AGI, kind of all of this goes out the window of, yeah, it is unpredictable behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, this... Uh, analogy was brought up at the beginning of, you know, at chat release, the open letter went out of, we need a moratorium. And like, mm-hmm. what is the analogy for the moratorium? It's when we discovered that gene editing was scientifically possible, like internationally scientists were like, well, like let's pause before we can figure out what we want to do with this. Right. And it happened. Um. And, and yeah. they did develop some sort of like scientific understanding on this. Th- that, I, I don't trust that to happen when the decisions are being made by, you know, Microsoft and whatever other entities uh, crop up internationally that have, you know, comparable market power to arrive at a uh, cons- conservative, public oriented um, ceasefire. On something mm-hmm. like that, and that's kind of something where I feel like an independent body, and honestly, more so than I mean, if you can you imagine trying to have like an international treaty on AGI in this world climate? I, anyway, um, that's not a very satisfying answer, <laughs> um, but it was it was an answer.
0: <laughs> well, it, it it works. I, I mean, there's a, there's obviously a lot of interesting stuff to to think about here, and I I think it's I mean I think that you know your proposal is is a useful thing to think about i still have lots of concerns about it but um it's it, i think it's useful to sort of play out that exercise and and think through and sort of um and it'll be interesting to see how people respond to it now that that it's you published it on lawfare um so we'll we'll make sure to link to to that article in the in the notes and and there's a lot more details in the article like you know, I couldn't go over all of them here on, on on this call, but but hopefully, people who are listening to this, if you find this interesting, you should definitely go read that, um, and uh, and continue to follow Chinny's work. So, um, thank you for for having this conversation. I imagine that we'll continue discussing this, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens with with this proposal, and um and uh, and and we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point in the future as well.
1: That would be great. And as like a last, you know, I welcome feedback. So anyone who does listen to this and read and or read the article and have, you know, really burning opinions, um, you know, all of it should be in support of me. But even if it's not, I, I would like that. that it, it, the nice thing about being an academic is um, the stakes of me putting this out are, are low. Um, I, it's not actually going to become law. But um, I think you nailed, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I just wanted people to be thought, talking about this in a more right. imaginative way than I think the conversations have been going.
0: Yeah. And, and definitely this is, a, it's a different proposal, right? It's very different than what, what we're seeing, you know, policymakers talk about. And I think there is value in it and that, you know. If it were this or some of the things that the EU is proposing, I'd probably go with your proposal.
1: <laughs> uh, let's end on that note. <laughs> I'll take it.
0: But you know, I still I have concerns about both of them. <laughs> but anyways, thank you very much for taking the time, enjoying the podcast, having this discussion, and uh, and I think we'll end it there. Thank you to everyone who has been listening as well, and we'll be back next week.
1: If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt To grab a shovel and dig up the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt To grab a shovel and dig up the tent